This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to another exciting episode of literary treks literary treks 182 i'm one of your hosts bruce gibson and with me as he always is always is here dan gunther i'm like that mismatched sock that you can't find the other side for i'm just always in the back of the drawer and you can't get rid of me how's it going bruce it's going pretty well. Uh, I'm kind of tired. <laughs> it's been a long day. I think tired might be the theme of this episode. As far as themes go, maybe not the most enticing and best to go with, but it's what we've got. So uh, yeah, that's that's what we're working with. So before the show, I was trying to get myself in the mood, you know, because you're at work and you're feeling stressed and you're sitting, you know, you sit in traffic and all that stuff. And then you sit down to do a podcast about Star Trek and your mind has been so in this whirlwind of things that you know when you sit down to do a podcast you you got to get yourself in the mood so that's what i did so i was listening to star trek music on spotify and i was playing some music from voyager from the pilot episode caretaker and do you know dan what i was listening to before we started (laughs) well full disclosure you did tell me before the show so i know it's coming here and i think it might have something to do with con on the cob that's right it was the like banjo music or ever when they you know are in the whatever that was with the people on the array or whatever. it was you know and they're like and yeah so i'm listening to this music and i'm like corn on the cob corn on the cob i'm by myself in the room just going corn on the cob okay voyager fans you know what we're talking about. yeah and and i love that you know star trek fans the world over you could go up to them and and say that you know in that voice corn on the cob and they will know exactly what you're talking about and flashback right to that moment when they watched the voyager pilot episode and it got to that scene and everybody said what the heck is this (laughs) (laughs) anyway it's the corn on the cob episode (laughs) But that's what's so great because we can relate. We can say that and it's like lingo in the Star Trek fandom world that we know what we're talking about. It's like special to us only. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) 
And what else is special to us is we have a preview of the comics coming in May from IDW, which I'm excited about. Have you seen this, Dan? We've got some covers. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, we've got the previews of comics coming up in May. We've got IDW's issue number eight in the Boldly Go series. Uh, kind of a, a photo cover like we've, we get it for incentive covers sometimes, a shot from Star Trek Beyond. Uh, this looks really interesting, and the blurb for it actually sounds really interesting as well. So we've got, in the finale of the epic storyline, it's up to Kirk, Spock, and the Academy cadets, including their newest member, Jayla, to solve the murder of the Romulan ambassador before the Babel Peace Conference ends in disaster and a new course is set for galactic war. So some really cool stuff, some continuity tie-ins with, with Babel, and getting to see that Jayla story continue, that's really exciting. I'm glad to see that Jayla is going to be in other issues and we're going to see her with the crew, even though she's a cadet at the Academy, that they were able to incorporate her into a storyline that would work with this crew. So it's definitely a major plus that we're getting extra Jayla. Definitely, yeah. And, and you know, like in our interview with Mike Johnson and Sarah Gatos, he said that that's always one of the uh, the issues of, of this series is trying to get those people back together for an adventure and like you say the fact that they managed to get Jayla in there too I mean that's exciting she was one of my favorite things about Star Trek Beyond now on this cover like you said it's a photo from I guess it's from Beyond yeah it's from Beyond there's a officer between Uhura and Sulu who looks very confused and upset and he's like wrinkling his his brow or like I, I feel like he's trying to make himself look like he's Bajoran. <laughs> huh. <laughs> I never thought of that. But yeah, could be a very early Bajoran sighting. Inadvertent, but there nonetheless. <laughs> but wouldn't it be it's it, it, he's just this extra background character from the movie. It'd be interesting since he's front and center in the well not front and center, but kind of back and center, <laughs> if he's actually a character in the comic. That would be kind of cool if they if they just used this guy's uh, face for a background character, gave him a background story. You know, that's always neat when they do stuff like that, for sure. Yeah, I think that would be cool. And so we have our next comic. It's Star Trek Green Lantern, number six, Stranger Worlds of the, the Stranger Worlds series. And this blurb says it's the conclusion to the blockbuster event of 2017 that answers the question, will it be a new dawn? For the Green Lantern Corps in the Star Trek universe? Or will Sinestro and Khan succeed in conquering the new timeline for themselves? We'll find out in the conclusion of Stranger Worlds. That's kind of one of those things where the blurb asks a question that I don't think we're probably giving too much of a spoiler away if we say we probably know the answer to. You know, like when you saw the uh, the TV guide blurbs for the next generation episode, will the Enterprise be destroyed in, in this? No, no, it, it, it probably won't. Oh, so those didn't fool you because they always fooled me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I saw right through them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I really should have read that blurb because it does mention Khan. Hmm. And if anybody hasn't been keeping up and they're going to wait to find out later i guess it was kind of a bit of a spoiler but we'll you know it's still a good story don't don't worry about that so anyway retroactive spoiler alert uh that's right go back in time and and don't listen to that (laughs) 
contact Admiral Janeway and she'll take you back in time and you'll forget everything. Perfect. <laughs> she likes to rewrite history. <laughs> so the next one we have in May, just when you thought, wow, we've got two new comics in May. No, there's another one. There's a third one. Star Trek Waypoint. Yes, the fifth one in the Waypoint series, which I'm really excited that this continues on. So I haven't even read this uh synopsis little thingy blurb here so but waypoint continues its celebration of star trek with two new tales and they are ooh, a take on the prime directive in the original series and let's see what else do we have here uh focus on dr bashir and a thought-provoking deep space nine tale so we ooh. get the original series and ds9 in this one with bashir that's exciting uh, bashir I'm I'm currently doing a rewatch of Deep Space Nine uh, with a friend of mine who has never seen the show. So uh, I'm I'm really loving Bashir this time around. So that's exciting to me. I really enjoy that character. Really annoying in the first season, but after that, great character. And uh, the Waypoint series, I'm really I'm really getting into this series. It's it's uh, maybe not for everyone, but it's very a very different take on the Star Trek universe, very different stories that kind of push the boundaries of what a Star Trek story is. So uh, really excited to see that series continue for sure. Yeah. They're always a surprise. You're never sure really what you're going to get, even though they say, Oh, it's a Bashir story. You may get to this and say, Oh, the art is different or, Oh, this is a different type of Star Trek stories. You, you really don't know how it's going to play out. They're, they're fun. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a really nice surprise. It's it's different. That's what I like about it. It's an entire Deep Space Nine story told from the perspective of Bashir's teddy bear Kukalaka. And that would not be probably too far off. That <laughs> <laughs> could actually happen in here. Definitely. So in your DS9 rewatch, you're liking Bashir better. Do you think you like Bashir better because of the history that you've learned his character, not just on the show, but through the novels? That's entirely possible. Absolutely. Um you know, I, I really, I, I like where his character is going now in the post finale of Deep Space Nine with this whole Section 31 and and saving the Andorian race and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, that definitely feeds into my perception of the character in his younger years, I'd say, for sure. So uh, we actually just got past where, you know, his genetic engineering is revealed and all that stuff. So some really meaty stuff for Bashir right now. Oh yeah, that's great. He's he's grown on me over time too. He's now one of my favorite uh, DS9 characters, and he what he didn't used to be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's one that doesn't start out strong. That's for sure. He's he's kind of creepy towards Dax and and really annoying to Cisco. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I I feel bad rewatching season one. I feel bad for the actor playing Bashir because he has to do some really annoying things, and that's got like. I, I, I got to wonder where he thought his character was going. <laughs> well, it all worked out in the long run. So definitely. Well, th- there you go. Three count them. Three new comics in May. Oh, wait, oh, wait, 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 hold the comic presses. There's a fourth one. We have four. There are four comics <laughs> in May. Yeah, so. this one. Now, this is one I'm really looking forward to. So this is the Mirror Broken series, Star Trek The Next Generation. This is the first issue of that series. Now, this is a Mirror Universe tale that takes place in the universe of The Next Generation. 
And this cover is incredible. I love this. We've got Picard with uh, a goatee, of course, because, you know, that's a trope of the mirror universe. We're going to drag that out. Uh, wearing this cool Terran Empire uniform. And my favorite part of this is the Mirror Universe USS Stargazer on the cover here with kind of those uh, yellow markings like the Enterprise had in In a Mirror Darkly. So this looks really cool. It does. I mean, great way to describe the cover. Uh, It's the first issue of this Mirror Universe saga uh, with Next Generation. I'm really looking forward to reading this. And it's written by Scott Tipton and David Tipton, who've written many Star Trek comics. So um, this should be a good one. Now, I don't know if you noticed, Dan, in the notes, we have a preview of some of the pages of that issue that was actually in an article from Entertainment Weekly. That's how big this is. Entertainment Weekly jumped on this. They did an article called New Star Trek Comic Showcases Mirror Universe of the Next Generation. And if you look for that article on EW.com, you will see the first three pages of that issue. And it starts off showing Kirk in both universes. Do you see that, Dan? Yeah, the this is a, a really, really cool preview. And yeah, when you posted this, I was I was really surprised that it was Entertainment Weekly posting this. So, you know kind of getting into the mainstream world of of entertainment news this is kind of a big deal and so we get like you say some uh the early pages of the story there's no uh text with them just the artwork but what we do get to see is absolutely gorgeous um this style is really beautiful and the character likenesses i have to say are really really well done We've got, I think that's Kang and on, on one side and Gul Dukat on the other. I'm thinking that's the, the alliance, right? The, the Cardassians and the Klingons coming together to form the alliance that we see in Deep Space Nine in the Mirror Universe. And uh, man, yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about how gorgeous this comic looks. And I really can't wait to get my hands on it. And then you get to uh, the second page, and there's a professional wrestler sitting there playing chess. <laughs> oh, wait. No, that's that's Captain Jean-Luc Picard. That guy is built, man. Look at those arms. Oh, yeah. He's even more muscled than he was at the end of First Contact. I mean, uh, you know, they weren't kidding when uh, when they said, uh, when Mike Johnson and, and Sarah Gato said this was a very muscly comic, because we get that very early on here. <laughs> Yes, we do. So the art's by J.K. Woodward. And uh, with these first three pages that you'll see in there, it says not final art. So there may f- be some little changes. But like you said, Dan, there's no there's no text. There's no dialogue in there yet. So I'm mm-hmm. sure that's the final piece that they'll have to put in. But it really looks, the art looks great. And this is, I think, going to be proved to be probably one of the most popular series this year in comics for Star Trek. Definitely, yeah. Well, also in comic news uh i notice you put here in the outline the sale that comiXology is having on star trek comics right now so a huge sale going on on comiXology if you get your comics digitally this is huge news for you star trek comics are 50 percent off until march 16th and now this is really cool because i actually couldn't find my copy of countdown which we'll be talking about in the feature today so I had to 
rebuy it from Comixology. So I kind of went, oh man, I have to go and, and buy. And I went on there and the entire collection, countdown number one, was $2.99. And I just, I could not believe that. That was really incredible. So uh, huge. This episode of Literary Treks, <laughs> inadvertently in a roundabout way, is kind of brought to you by Comixology. So... <laughs> That's awesome. And because, Not a sponsor, though, I should point out. <laughs> well, yes. And because they're 50% off, this pod tra- podcast will only be 50% complete. Uh, <laughs> we'll just cut it off now. No. Yeah, no right kidding. in the middle of a sentence, we'll just stop. <laughs> we'll just stop. But yeah, okay. It's so funny you said that you couldn't find your countdown comic because I was actually in that same boat. I, I, could, I, I found my, my Spock and my Nero comic, but I couldn't find the countdown one. And I looked everywhere. I'm like, why can't I find this? And I was like, I, I said to my wife, I said, I'm going to have to go in Comixology and, and buy it because I can't find my physical copy. And then I looked one more time and it was like, it slid in between like two other books where I couldn't see it. So I finally <laughs> found it. But yeah, the regular price is $4.99, at least here in the US, and that's mm-hmm. down to $2.99. So I guess you answered the question i was going to ask in canada you're seeing that everything's 50 percent off there too yeah uh, and that that price i should point out was in u.s dollars uh on the okay. comicsology app but uh but yeah the it i don't know if it's it's not geotagged or whatever it didn't it didn't uh decide that because i'm from canada it's not applying that nope i got all the discounts i looked at some of the other prices and yeah it, great deals uh at least if you're in the U.S. or Canada. I can't talk about anywhere else. I don't know. But yeah, definitely some great deals to be had on Star Trek comics on Comixology. Yeah, and not all of them are 50% off, but the majority Mm -hmm. of them are. And so, for example, Star Trek Gold Key 100-page Spectacular that just came out this past week or so, that is the regular price of $7.99 because it's a new comic release. Right. So that one's not 50%, for example, but the majority of them are. And if you're thinking, if you've never delved into the Gold Key comics, now's the time to do it, to try this issue that just came out, the 100-page Spectacular, because it takes some of the, I think about four, five maybe, of the best ones that we've already reviewed mm-hmm. on literary tracks and puts them in a nice uh, little collection for you. So you might want to check that out if you haven't read the Gold Key comics. Definitely. And if you haven't, you should check them out. I mean, they're ridiculous. Go into it with an open mind and uh, you'll you'll get a lot of enjoyment from them for sure. Or have a glass of wine, <laughs> sit back, relax, be in a good mood and get ready to just enjoy yourself and laugh when you read it. Exactly. So, before we get into the feature, I'm going to start telling everybody where they can find us besides here on this podcast. So if you want to, you can reach out to us by email by going to trek.fm slash contact. So you can send an email from there. You can also leave us a voicemail on the site by looking at the sidebar on this show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter at trek.fm. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And when you're on Facebook, check out the Babel Conference. It's our official Star Trek Trek FM group. And so what you want to do is go into the search field of Facebook and you type in the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into that field, and then it will take you to the discussion group to join. And we'll let you in and you can participate in the conversations about these podcasts or other topics 
and just get to know other Star Trek fans just like yourself who listen to Trek FM. But that's not the only place. You thought I was done. No, Goodreads. Goodreads is a great place to go for people who read Star Trek books. So Dan, tell us about that. Well, Goodreads, of course, because we're a podcast about books and comics, Goodreads is a great way to keep track of books you've read and books you want to read and books you plan to read. And that's exactly what we use it for here on Literary Treks. So if you go to Goodreads and search for Literary Treks, join our group. One of us will let you write in. And basically, you can find bookshelves where we keep records of the books that we've covered in the past. So if you're catching up on old shows, you can follow along with those. And we also have bookshelves featuring what's coming up in future shows so that you can keep up to date and keep up with us when we do a show on maybe the next book in the Deep Space Nine series, which is coming, which just came out this week. All right. So uh, there you go. So now you know where to find us. So reach out and engage with us. And now just sit back and enjoy, because now we're going into the feature to talk about Star Trek Countdown. So in 2009, J.J. Abrams and Paramount Pictures made a new Star Trek movie, kind of a reboot, all in a new timeline, which we now refer to as the Kelvin timeline. And to gear things up, IDW decided to start a four-issue comic prequel to the movie that would connect the next generation cast and timeline leading in to the events of the new movie. And so that series was called Star Trek Countdown, and it was the four issues, and they started coming out in January through April of 2009, right before the movie premiered. And that's what we're talking about now. It's all in one volume now. You can get it as a trade paperback, whether it's digital or a printed copy somewhere. And uh, it features Nero and Spock and some of the Next Generation crew. So, Dan, did you read this comic series when the movie came out around that time? I did. It. Um, I, I did. Let me see. I'm pretty sure I bought it as the trade paperback. I did not buy the individual issues. And I can't remember exactly when it came out as a trade paperback, but I had already seen Star Trek. So I, I didn't read this before I had seen the new 2009 movie, but sometime shortly thereafter. And uh, yeah, it was the experience was was a good one. It did answer a lot of the questions that are kind of left hanging from 2009. Like, how did all of that get there? And, and, and like, what's what's happening, basically? So it was really helpful in that respect. Uh, Bruce, what was your experience reading this? Did you read it before the movie or like me, did you read it after? I really don't remember. I, I'm looking here. It looks like when the issues started coming out, they immediately came out with the printed trade paperback right mm -hmm. when the fourth issue came out. So right before the movie. And so I may have read it going into the movie or I may have, you know, I think I did read it. Because now I think about it, the Narada, I remember thinking, oh, yeah, I remember this from the comic. Mm, so I think okay. I did read it right before the movie. I, who knows? But it, if I didn't, it was right afterwards. Um, and I think it definitely gives you the backstory that you need on Nero that you don't maybe quite grasp, at least the first time when you watch the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, it kind of goes by real quick. Um, so I thought... Um, 
Yeah, I really do think that I read this right before the movie because I remember thinking when they showed the image of Nero's wife, I remember realizing that I saw that in the comic. Oh, that's cool. That's really neat. Like, I, I would have loved the experience of reading this beforehand. And yeah, like you say, it really fleshes out Nero's character. That's kind of one of the big things of this. We, we get to see him uh, before he snaps, basically, uh, which, you know, the the crazy villain who's hell-bent on destruction and revenge. Not my favorite kind of villain, uh, but we'll get to that, I guess. <laughs> this this is definitely paints a much more interesting picture of Nero. Uh, we get to see him before all of that. So this first issue, it starts um, with, you know, the Nero and his crew mining, in a system called Hobus. And uh, there's a star that, if you're familiar with background information on Star Trek 2009, they don't mention it in the movie, but, you know, this countdown comics kind of become part of the lore. You know that that star plays a very important role in the events setting up the new Star Trek trilogy at this point, I guess. I'm glad we reread this because at the time I did read this, it was when the new movie was out. But now that we've had the three movies, as you just mentioned, and I've seen Star Trek 09 about 100 times, I'm very familiar with the movie and not as much as with the comic now because I've only read it maybe a, few, a couple of times. What I liked about this is that star, I always thought of it as being in the same solar system as Romulus, but mm. it's not. It's somewhere else. And it's going supernova that it goes beyond its solar system. It's actually, at, they kind of refer that it's going to, it could destroy the whole galaxy. And I hadn't really thought that much about it, that the impact that this star, what it's going through, that's unusual from most other supernovas, uh, what it was going through, that it could destroy not just Romulus, but Vulcan and Earth were potential threats to be destroyed too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's, if I remember correctly, in the mind meld scene in Star Trek 2009, there's kind of a throwaway line. You hear Spock say it threatened the galaxy or something like that, which, you know, this comic, this story does kind of gloss over a little bit. It doesn't really explain why or how <laughs> that is. I mean, presumably, here, here, here we're getting into science now or whatever, but presumably it would be limited to the speed of light at which it would you know, its effects could be felt. So, you know, our closest star to Earth that isn't our sun is four light years away. So that would take four years for that effect to be felt here and et cetera, et cetera. So how exactly does this work? Um, I don't really know. Uh, if anybody out there plays Star Trek online, I know there's a whole subplot to that that kind of explains that there's some kind of thing that makes it have effects through subspace or something like that. But suffice it to say, the story doesn't, it, it just kind of glosses over that. It just says it's a big threat. When this thing goes off, it's going to threaten everyone. Yeah, I did take it, though, that it, this was something unusual, mm -hmm. that it wasn't just a regular star exploding, that there was something odd going on with this thing to the point that the Romulans didn't believe Spock when he told them that the the star was going to affect Romulus. Right. So Spock is, uh, of course we last saw him on Romulus working towards, uh, Romulan and Vulcan reunification. 
and he's still living there, t carrying out that task. His status has changed a little bit. He's a little bit more accepted by the Romulan government in his role and in his efforts and that sort of thing. And when we join him in the story, he's addressing the uh, Romulan Senate and, and warning them about this potential disaster. And as you say, they don't believe him. Nero is there in the gallery and uh, and backs up Spock because he witnessed this star doing its thing for himself. And uh, yeah, they're they're not believing him and it doesn't seem to be going well. You know, we know Spock. We know he's one of the most intelligent beings in all of Star Trek. So if he says something's bad, we're going to believe him, but they don't. Which is funny that Nero is the only one that really believes him and is on his side. On uh, page 18, he's in a tavern with his crew and he says, I'm serious. I trust the ambassador and I think his plan is the only thing that can save Romulus. So he's the only one that's really on Spock's side. Mm -hmm. And having seen the movie, it's so strange to think this, this starts off with Nero and Spock that basically become friends or allies in this mm -hmm. because there's so much hatred from Nero in the movie that reading this, you would think if you hadn't seen the movie and you're reading this first, you would think, okay, Spock and Nero are going to team up and be really good friends and probably work together to make this happen. But not everything goes that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You'd think, you know, Spock's the only one who believes him and is the only one trying to do something about it. So it's kind of, uh, it seems odd that, he would uh, turn against him so much later on. But, you know, we'll see how we get there for sure. Yes. And uh, we see Nero with his wife or talking about his wife and she's pregnant. And he's just he's just I don't want to say a simple miner, but he is leading a mining team. The Narada is not the ship we see in the movie. It's not that advanced. That comes later. It's just a regular Romulan mining vessel and he's the captain of this ship, of this business of mining, and he's got a wife who's got a baby on its way. And, you know, they're just, that's that's Nero. He's not some weird villain of any type at this point. He's just a miner with a family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like I said, it's, it's interesting to see. It gives his character a little bit more depth, for sure. Uh, so, we, yeah, we see him, you know, leading his crew. They're going to mine decalithium, which is... Even better than trilithium or dilithium. It's decalithium. It's it's ten times better, um, or something. We have we have lithium batteries. Yeah, yeah, and, and this is this is like ten lithium batteries put together or something. <laughs> like it's that good, um, but it's the material that gets turned into red matter, which is of course the plot device in Star Trek two thousand nine, and. Uh, so they're mining this stuff and they're going to turn it over to ambassador Spock because you know, it's his plan and all that stuff to, uh, to stop this supernova. And they come under attack by the Remans, uh, for some reason, either they're, they want to steal the decalithium or something. They're just, yeah, I don't think that was really ever. Yeah. Revealed. They Why? just, they just kind of show up. And the reason they show up is so that Nero and the Narada can be saved by a familiar starship. The USS Enterprise comes warping in. Oh, with Jean-Luc? Yeah, it must be Captain Picard, right? And then you turn the page and no, it's Captain Data of the USS Enterprise. 
what what what's going on here um so yeah this is a really cool way to end that first issue so this is the end of issue number one data in command of the enterprise wearing a really nifty star trek online-esque starfleet uniform attention all reman ships this is captain data of the uss enterprise you will cease hostilities at once and that's where we leave issue one so this obviously plays out a little differently than what we've seen in the novel verse with data mm-hmm. uh i guess it could fit in you could, if you were going to try to tie the two but it would some work around to make that happen (laughs) yeah well in the next issue he does give kind of one line about his how he came about to be resurrected i guess and basically he says that his uh neural patterns were able to uh be grafted onto b4's neural network or something like that which, you know, is is kind of sad. I mean, as, as simple as B4 was, you know, he was still a person in his own right. <laughs> so Data just took over his body, I guess, and, and everyone's okay with that. <laughs> okay, so let's let's talk about this. Since people that listen to the show and like us are into the novels or at least listen to the show so they're familiar with the novels, and we know that uh, it's apparent that what we have going in the novel verse about a year or so before this time is going in a different direction than this book. And also Star Trek Online has gone in a different direction from the continuity of the new novels. So in a lot of ways, if you're looking at this of all these stories and, and Star Trek Online all fitting together, it's pretty obvious we have two different timelines going on here. What's going on in the novels is one timeline, and what we know of this comic and uh, Star Trek Online seem to work together, that timeline would have this event occurring. So, I don't know where I'm going with this. I guess what I'm <laughs> going with this is, in the novel timeline, really what they could do is have a different result of the sun going supernova, mm-hmm. where maybe Spock doesn't go back through that wormhole or whatever to the events of Kirk's birth. Uh, well, Spock does it, but Nero does, and then mm-hmm. Spock comes later. But yeah, yeah. I'm just just playing that we have different weird timelines going on in all these situations. Yeah, I mean, and and that's something that's kind of inherent to Star Trek. We have these these many different multiple uh, quantum realities they call them. Uh, so you know, there's there's infinite possibilities. You know, I'd like to think that that the Spock from quote unquote our universe is the one that went back to back into the start, the J the JJ verse, the Kelvin timeline. But uh, it's kind of one of those things. There's so many different uh, iterations of these stories that, you know, what, what actually happened, I I guess kind of whatever you really want until something is on screen in a movie or a television show, it's not Canon. Right. So, yeah, um, it's just up to your own personal continuity. Now, there's also not getting on too much of a, a tangent here. There's also some question as to the ability of the pocketbooks novels to touch on anything related to the J.J. Abrams movies. So, you know, they're they're <laughs> rapidly approaching the time when this supernova is supposed to happen, and now they're about a year away, and they're kind of inching their way forward and i'm really curious to see what happens 
when they get nearer there, will they just kind of be running on a tr on a treadmill to kind of avoid those issues, or will it be something they just kind of gloss over? I hope that's not the case because like the destruction of Romulus and the disappearance of Spock is a pretty big deal. I mean, I guess there doesn't have to be a novel centering around it, but you'd think no, it would get I a mean, mention. <laughs> you, you Exactly. You could have events going on that, uh, for example, let's say it's, you know, the enterprise E and there's a reference to, well, we need to, you know, get to Klingon space and deal with whatever, blah, blah, blah. We don't want another huge incident like what happened to Romulus and just say that <laughs> like what incident what are they talking about you know <laughs> I mean, yeah. and they don't even have to mention Spock is missing just you know gloss you say like gloss over it and just you know mm. maybe it happened and just kind of in a in a in a little hint way refer to the event without actually spelling it out so I don't know because you're right we're getting really close to this time <laughs> and if they could go to this it would be interesting to see what their take on the events would be if it's any different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. If if they could do like the definitive novel verse version of Star Trek Countdown, I guess, uh, like how different would it be? Um, that's a really good question. I'm, <laughs> I really, again, I hope it's not something that they just have to gloss over because, you know, it's like, oh, I was uh, going to take a trip to Romulus next week. But I guess that's not going to happen now. Anyway. <laughs> oh, too bad. You know, refer oh. to it, but not refer to it. I, I don't know. It, it's it's a question that I've noticed on like Star Trek message boards. A lot of people have asked various Star Trek authors. And the collective answer tends to seem to be kind of a shrug. Like, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to be allowed to do and or what's going to happen or anything like that so hopefully the head honchos in charge have a kind of idea of at least what they're going to be allowed to do either that or they're just going to focus on discovery co uh, comics and novels <laughs> just to avoid it <laughs> yeah or the the entire and and obviously i hope this isn't what happens you know we get about a week away from that event in the star trek universe and the shared continuity is ended and then they move on to other things. I really hope that's not the case. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, I, I'm, you know, as long as they're good stories, that's all I care about. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, definitely. So then we move on to the second chapter, which would have been the second issue. Yes, folks, we've only got through the first one. We'll try to go faster <laughs> through these other ones. Uh, but so Nero does learn about the history of the Enterprise and past captains. And that's because when the Enterprise shows up and helps the crew of the Narada, they allow Nero on board and give him full access. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, full access to the computer database of the Enterprise, which I'm really not sure why they would allow him to just go in there and get full access to that. What, what was the point behind that? Well, to be fair, they do give him, quote, full access, which, you know, if you see, like, before he's looking up the Federation history stuff... He is looking up the Hobus system, Red Matter, Decalithium, and Memory Alpha, and all of those say access denied. So, you know, there are certain things that they're cutting him off from, but, you know, the history of Starfleet and, and the captains, that he is able to get access to. Uh, and that's, of course, also that we can have his uh, scene with Kirk 
uh, at the end of Star Trek 2009, where he says, oh, I read about you in history books and and that's all going to change because you're going to die now because, you know, he's a evil frothing at the mouth revenge bent villain now. Anyway, that's true. And can, you, can you tell how I'm excited I am by characters like that? <laughs> yes, you are. <sighs> <laughs> Well, also in the movie, he recognizes when he sees the Enterprise, he's like, stop, like stop shooting because he mm-hmm. knows Spock is on that ship. And it could be maybe he knew that history of Spock prior to, but or maybe he saw this when he was going through the database of the Enterprise that Spock was Kirk's first officer on the ship. Mm-hmm. Because we do see a panel in here where Nero pulls up an image and says, James Tiberius Kirk. And then he just wanders. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> but anyway, so yes, he he loves Kirk just like we all do. Yeah. And those stories and are just, they're too great. He fought a giant amoeba. I mean, <laughs> come on. The man's amazing. <laughs> he is quite amazing. So then the Romulan government finally recognizes that, yes, this planet going boom is a threat to Romulus. And uh, so thankfully, someone's getting the picture here that um, it's time to do something. But it may be a little too late, which we'll get into later. Um, And then, so what about this cold reception that Spock gets on on Vulcan? Yeah, this was a little surprising to me. I mean, I know that he's not really in favor on Vulcan because of his reunification attempts with the Romulans, who the Vulcans still see as, you know, kind of an ancient enemy. But it it seemed a little bit weird to me that he was so uh, shunned by Vulcan that, like, they didn't even want to let him onto the planet, you know? And it, it seemed really odd to me that, you know, Picard had to step in. Whoop! Sorry, jumping a little bit ahead of myself. Big surprise reveal. Wait, Captain Picard. Wait, but there's Captain Data. Why, <laughs> why would Picard be there? Well, Picard, of course, is Ambassador Picard uh, from the Federation to Vulcan. Not exactly sure why he got that post, but, you know, it's a good place for him, I guess. And a really cool reveal. So, you know, he says, you know, they say that they're guests of the federation ambassador to vulcan and they beam down and that's of course revealed to be picard who is welcoming them to the planet when for some reason vulcan themselves don't want anything to do with spock yes well and and they don't want to help romulus i mean they do Mm. but they don't and the fact that we need the red matter to help eliminate the supernova and save Romulus, but the Vulcans do not want to divulge how this red matter works or, or give it out because they're afraid it would get in Romulan's hands, in the Romulan hands, and be a threat to them. Mm-hmm. So they kind of hold back on that, which really ticks off Nero. He's like, that's it. See, I knew we should have just come here and taken it for ourselves and just be gone. And we've been wasting our time trying to con- convince Vulcans to give us the red matter. And we've gotten nowhere. This has been a freaking waste of time. I need to go rescue my family. I'm out of here. See you, Spock. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, this is one of those situations where you can definitely see both sides. I mean... Red matter is extremely powerful. I mean, from what we see in the movie, one drop of it creates a massive black hole. Uh, so you don't want this getting into the hands of anyone but yours, really, because if you're in control of it, because 
wow, the damage that it could do. But you also see Nero's point that, you know, bureaucracy and red tape and secrets and stuff. It's his life. It's his wife. It's his civilization. It's his world. It's it's his entire universe that's at stake. So, you know, it, it, you definitely see both sides of this debate. And we get the beginnings of the kind of over-the-top frothy mouthed villainy of Nero. We we see we see that he has that potential a little bit because of how angry he gets so quickly, but it's also not unwarranted. It's it's totally understandable at this point that he's so frustrated and just wants to save his family. Because his own people don't believe that the the sun is going to be a threat when it goes supernova which later they figure it out but it's too late i don't even think nero even knows that they finally realize it's a threat but so Mm -hmm. he knows that his people aren't buying into this and so they're not evacuating and doing anything then he goes to vulcan for help they're not going to do anything so now he's in a rush to get home get his wife and kid and get them off the planet but he ends up getting there too late it goes supernova and destroys Romulus. And I mean, he's, he's, he's mad mm-hmm. because everybody just like laid around and did nothing. This reminds me of Superman and Krypton mm-hmm. where Jor-El is trying to convince the Kryptonians that Krypton's going to explode and no one really believes him. And then really at the last minute, he puts his son in a rocket and shoots it off the planet when they could have done something earlier to save the planet or at least gotten off the planet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, very reminiscent of that. And, and it's, you know, Nero at this point has lost everything. And I mean, that's not hyperbole. That's, he has literally lost everything that he cares about, mainly his wife and unborn child, but his entire civilization, everything is now gone. So I mean, I'm I'm not saying that I don't understand why he snaps and becomes the way he does. I just, I, it's not my favorite kind of story. That's all. <laughs> no, I get you. I do too. But at least this puts some background and some depth into Nero that we didn't get as much of in the movie. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And that's very much appreciated. So then we have issue three and uh, there's a Federation aid convoy. And he destroys that. I mean, they're there to try to to help. And, oh, do you need help? We're here to rescue you. And basically, he's like, you know what? Tough noogies. You, <laughs> I, you guys are way too late. And now you want to help? Yeah, right. I don't think so. Boom. I'm attacking you. You're gone. You're dead. Bye-bye. Yeah. And so that was that was a shocking moment for sure. And I, I, I was rereading this section here. I'm not sure if these ships are just arriving on the scene or had they already evacuated some Romulans because there were evacuation fleets, evacuations had started. So, you know, if there were already Romulans evacuated on those ships, Nero just killed potentially some few remaining members of his civilization. I mean, he he's completely lost it at this point. Uh, I'm I'm going to assume there were no Romulans on those ships that they got there too late, and the reason I do that is because I would think Nero would have scanned to see if there were Romulans on mm-hmm. the ships okay. before he attacked them. I, that's that's my head cannon. Yeah, 
Well, either way, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty horrific act for sure. And, uh, you know, he's not done with horrific acts because they do discover a shuttle and aboard that shuttle is the ruling council of the Romulan empire and Nero beams them aboard. Uh, obviously with some kind of ulterior motives, just from the way, you know, how fortunate for them invite them aboard you know, he's he's not happy with anyone, the Federation, the Vulcans, the Romulans. He blames at this point everyone, either through action or inaction, for the destruction of Romulus. And things don't end well for this Romulan ruling council. Which I forgot this scene was even in here, and I'm glad uh, to see that it is, because I don't agree with Nero blaming Spock for everything. He should also blame this council because they're the ones that didn't believe that there was any threat and they didn't abandon Romulus with their people in time uh, to save them. It's really their fault for all these people dying, yet they got off the planet in time. Mm-hmm. And so Nero takes the big uh, staff that you see him with that... Uh, in uh, the movie, he takes that from one of the leaders and it is a uh, ancient weapon that is a the greatest symbol of the empire. And I kind of like that it's not just this staff that he has, that there's it's an ancient staff and it has some kind of symbolism or something for Romulus and that he took it from them and then he's kept it ever since. And he killed this leader using that staff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, when I saw... Star Trek 2009, I always wondered, like, well, what's that big stick that he has that that with all those blades that he kills um, Captain Rabau with and, and is always uh, holding on the bridge of the Narada? And it's really cool that this really is the origin story for a lot of aspects of that movie that were just kind of unanswered. You know, that staff could have been just, oh, this looks cool. That's kind of neat. But, you know, if you really delve deep and, and get into this background material, you'll you really learn a lot more about that universe. Yeah. And just to mention that uh, the people behind the movie were also behind this comic. So mm-hmm. this was, they, they were involved in the, in the backstory on this. And then we also get the reveal of why they have the markings on their faces. Uh, it says here that it was a tradition on Romulus that when a loved one died, you would paint your skin with grief and that these are ancient symbols of love and loss and then in the time that the paint over time that paint would fade and it represents the period of mourning and life would go on but knowing that the the people of Romulus their lives would not go on they put the paint on them to be permanent because they will always be in mourning i really like that i thought that was a good explanation as to why they have these markings cuz miners miners aren't going to go around with a staff like that and have markings like that <laughs> yeah it never really made a lot of sense that this was you know a simple mining vessel that these were just miners and yeah with the staff and and the markings it all seemed a little odd and you know it's really cool that a lot of these questions get answered in this comic i i still kind of wish that you didn't need the comic <laughs> to understand all those things but it's still very much appreciated that we do get this to to kind of learn more about what's going on yeah and then we have the jellyfish 
the little jellyfish ship that Spock uses <laughs> that he comes into the Kelvin timeline with, which I always thought was an interesting design because it didn't feel like a Star Trek Federation type ship. And then we realized this is something that was designed by LaForge. <laughs> Good old Geordie LaForge. Yeah, which which I thought was really odd because and and this is this is getting into really um small details and stuff but i always thought it was a vulcan ship that that spock had because if you look like some of the set design stuff the chair that spock's in in front of the window creates like this idic vulcan idic symbol so i always thought that was oh it's clearly a vulcan ship but um i guess apparently according to this uh jordy laforge designed and built the the ship and it's not just jellyfish in uh fan lore and like the nickname for the ship we learn in this that it is actually called the jellyfish well could it maybe it could be a vulcan ship that geordie was working on and helping to design i mean i don't know i mean we could we could say that because it doesn't really say the origins of the ship that's true yeah it 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 definitely does look different from anything that we've seen federation wise or even vulcan wise so the the origins of the sh- the ultimate origins of the ship could be really left up to uh, a lot of speculation for sure. Yeah, and it, it appears that Jordy's not even in Starfleet anymore; that he's just designing ships now. Is mm-hmm. that your impression? Yeah, it, it definitely didn't feel like he was uh, that this was an official Starfleet construction contract or anything like that. It, it definitely feels like he's tinkering and and building in his spare time and. You know, when he shows up, he's he's wearing kind of engineering coveralls, but, you know, they don't doesn't necessarily look Starfleet looks very civilian to me. Nero comes upon another Romulan ship and it says here that the ship is an advanced military facility whose existence is known only to the Romulan high command and the event of a threat to the homeworld. They are tasked with providing safe haven for the ruling council. And given the crisis they just had, they are willing to make an exception for Nero and his crew. And they come aboard the ship, and what do they find? They find advanced Borg technology. Mm-hmm. Now, this is kind of an area where I think the story gets a little bit away from itself. You know, we, we, we learn a little bit about why they decide to outfit the Narada with all this technology. It's going to become the the tip of the spear for the the military might of Romulus and it's, you know, exacting revenge on its enemies because of, of everything that's been happening. But it seems odd to me that they don't have, you know, a fleet that's going to be outfitted with this stuff. They just, Nero happens by with his mining ships. So they're like, yeah, we'll put it all on your ship, I guess. I, I don't know. But, uh, still it's it's at least we get kind of an explanation as to why the narada is such a huge dominant ship that's you know capable of such destructive power and it it is now it was it's confirmed in this issue that the borg technology uh is behind the narada that the mm-hmm. narada, that big narada ship that we see in the movie is influenced by the borg and its technology which then Fast forward to those first few issues of Boldly Go, where we have the Borg looking for the Narada. Mm-hmm. Aha! Mm-hmm. See, there's a connection <laughs> there. 
there is a connection between the Borg and the Narada, and we've seen some of that in Boldly Go, and I guarantee you we will see the Borg return again in those issues. Good job, Mike Johnson. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's all connected. Definitely. Um which is which is interesting. You know, I, I like when I like when my entertainment creates this deep lore, which is really cool, you know, that things don't just there's not just a series of events. There's kind of connections and threads that go throughout. So, you know, this was kind of a neat one. Again, I think the the actual outfitting of the Narada, I think they kind of gloss over that and they don't really okay, well, we'll just make it this mining ship. But it's it's really neat that it ties everything together and, and really creates this through line of Star Trek lore. And then this issue three ends with the Narada being attacked by uh, Klingon ships and the fleet is led by guess. Come on. Think um, about this. Think it, about is it, this. Is it is it Martok? It's Martok, right? No. Oh no. shoot. It shoot. is who it's it's a next generation character. Oh man. Are there any famous Klingons? Who's a famous Klingon in Star Trek? That you're you're getting closer. It's not Pulaski. Oh man. Okay. Side note, by the way, if you want to look at Star Trek as a whole, Star Trek is the story of Worf, because Worf has appeared in more episodes and movies of Star Trek than any other character. So all of Star Trek is the story of Worf. All of Star Trek is the story of Worf. Everything that comes before Worf is just setting the stage for Worf. And then what about Voyager? What does that have to do with Worf? Oh, it'll it'll come around somehow. They'll bring we'll it all together. Balan is related <laughs> to Worf in some way, right? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, of course. So the Klingon fleet is led by General Worf of the Klingon Empire. You will surrender what? your ship to us or you will die with it. Why? 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 Why did he leave the Federation? Why did he leave Starfleet? I don't get it. Yeah, I don't really understand either. So <laughs> if you look at Worf's career path, so he's in Starfleet on the on the Enterprise, then he goes to Deep Space Nine, then he becomes the Klingon ambassador to the Federation or the Federation ambassador to Kronos. I can't remember which one. And he does that for a little while and then for some reason goes back to Starfleet and then goes back to the Klingons to become a general in the military, I guess. Yeah, there's a whole backstory there that we don't have. But I, I figure it has something to do with improving relations between the Klingons and the Federation. And hmm. he just moved over. Just as like, being like an ambassador, uh, maybe going in and, I, I, yeah, I don't know. That would be an interesting story. I'd like to know that. But that's <laughs> we just have to take it for what it is. He's now a general in a Klingon fleet. So if we are to kind of meld the novel verse and this story together, he's got less than a year now to go from being the first officer of the Enterprise to a general in the Klingon Defense Force. Well, I guess when Picard left the Enterprise, maybe Worf did too. Hmm. Oh, oh wait, I got it. I got it. Picard leaves the Enterprise to become an ambassador. Next in line is Worf. The Federation, for some reason, some people have an issue with a Klingon being a captain of a ship. Ooh, and especially maybe the flagship. The, especially the flagship. And Worf is just like, you know, I've had it. And, and let's say, you know, someone in the Klingon Empire saying, Worf, come join us. You'll be more respected with us. And he leaves Starfleet 
to captain his own ship as a general. Therefore, Data steps into that role hmm. of captain of the Enterprise. And presumably Martok is still the leader of the Klingon Empire. So I could see Worf joining the Empire to serve with, you know, his brother because he's part of the House of Martok and stuff. So I could see that. I could see that. See, see it all works out. Star Trek is the story of Worf, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're on to issue four, the final issue. And I was surprised that the Narada actually can cloak. Yes. Now, this this was funny to me as well, because we don't see it cloak at all during Star Trek 2009. Now, granted, it had been heavily damaged by the Kelvin at the start of the movie and then supposedly was uh, kept um, in the hands of the Klingon Empire in the famous uh, deleted scenes part of the movie <laughs> and then uh so so maybe it lost that ability at some point but uh, yeah i was really surprised here when the narada cloaks and then fires and and destroys a bunch of klingon ships and then decloaks again so it was an ability we never saw from it again after this yeah i don't know if i like that it cloaks because it's such a big ship uh it was a mining vessel so i wouldn't ex- think that the core of the ship which is the mining vessel would have cloaking technology on it maybe let's if we did say it did let's say okay maybe Mm. but then when you attach all this other borg technology and the borg don't use cloaking technology i just have a hard time believing this mining ship now can cloak that big of a of a ship of borg borg technology it's just Mm -hmm. i mean it's fine i mean i guess it could work i just i just wouldn't expect that ship to be a cloaked vessel yeah, it was, it, it's kind of, it's, it's one of those things that's so overpowered, you know, do we really need to give it kind of one more super ability? But, uh, yeah, I mean, the Romulans did develop that technology in combination with Borg technology, so I could see them incorporating that, but it was a bit much, I thought. Or maybe they did it because this is a Worf story and they know it would make Worf mad. Ah, there you go. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Spock, what's he up to? He departs for his mission to stop the Nova from destroying Vulcan and Earth and anything else. Yep. And uh, so he leaves on, like you say, on this mission to stop the supernova. And what's interesting is he knows he's not going to return. You know, he, he tells Picard and everyone, like, in case I don't return, you know, live long and prosper, all that jazz, all that stuff that Vulcans say. Um, But he knows that he's not coming back, that there is a nearly 0% chance that he will return from this mission. So as as far as Spock is concerned, this is his death. This is his last act. When you said Vulcans and all that jazz, I thought of Vulcan (laughs) jazz hands in the Vulcan salute. That's where my mind went. The, the Vulcan, uh, the Vulcan rendition of Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then, okay, you know what? The story of Worf must come to an end at some point, and it happens in this issue because Nero kills Worf with one of the spikes of this Borg technology. 
because because Worf is on the ship now trying to get Nero, and all of a sudden one of these spikes just zooms in around and just stabs him in the back, and we have killed Worf in this issue. Worf dies. Yeah, it it certainly seems that way, doesn't it? Uh, when I first read this, I was I can't believe they killed Worf because honestly, this spike goes right through him and he's kind of hanging from it for quite a while. So I do not expect him to be alive. And so I totally thought they killed him off here. Okay. I wish I would have looked this up earlier. I'm, I totally don't remember what this was from, but didn't we have a comic one other time where Worf got killed and died? I feel like there was something where, he died and I remember he's like laying on the floor of maybe his cabin or something and there was blood. Oh my gosh. I know there's people screaming at us right now going, it's this one. It's this one. I could swear there's another comic out there where Worf dies, like happens Uh-oh. in the future or something. I don't remember that. Um, Oh, <laughs> all right. I'm going to look that one up soon, but not, not while we're doing the show. Cause okay. you people would have to wait a long time to find out. <laughs> it would take too long. Okay, so then Nero disables the Enterprise when they lower their shields to be Morph over because they're trying to save Worf's life. So maybe mm-hmm. he did live. Because did they really pronounce him dead? I don't remember. No, actually, and and this was a surprise to me. Nero says he's he's nearly dead. So like I would have thought he he's dead for sure. And like like you said when I read this, I was like, oh my god, they killed Worf. But we find out, no, he's still alive and they go. there's a flicker of life in your Klingon friend is what uh, Nero says. So they go to beam him back. Data makes a command decision to lower the shields to beam him over. And of course, Nero takes that moment to attack the Enterprise and they are disabled. They're without warp drive. And Nero warps off to chase down Spock uh, to kill him before he can stop the supernova. Well, there you go. And that leads us then what into the new movie. Or is there yeah. anything else we're missing? Well, not much except so Nero catches up with Spock. Spock has already released the red matter and, and created the worm or the, the black hole, yep. which is sucking in the supernova. And in kind of a weird turn in, in what if you were looking at this and didn't know there was a movie after it seems very anticlimactic. This huge hulking ship comes out of warp to kill Spock and then gets sucked into a black hole. <laughs> he, he gets there and then whoop, gets sucked into the black hole. And then a couple minutes later, whoop, Spock gets sucked into. And that's the end of the story. <laughs> well, that story sucked. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's one of those things that if it didn't have a movie afterwards, you'd be like, well, that's weird. That's how Spock dies. That's the end of Spock. Because, uh, you know, um, the Enterprise is at the end and Picard says he sacrificed himself to save us all. May his soul live long and prosper. And I'm like, OK, that's a weird way for one of Star Trek's most iconic characters to go out. But then you get to be continued on screen in Star Trek. Yes. And I like that because it shows that this is a prequel, that there's more to the story and it's going to take place in the movie. So, Bruce, uh, overall impressions uh, now that we've reached the end, what did you think of Star Trek Countdown? I like Countdown quite a bit. 
because I think it works well with the movie. It adds some more depth. We get to know more about Nero. I like that it's a bridge from the 24th century and the next generation into the Star Trek 09 movie. Sometimes when I watch the movie, I think of this issue or these four issues that make up this volume. And I think of this backstory that leads into it. So this is, this is kind of like part one of that story. And, and so I would, I would say if you like the Star Trek movie, I would definitely pick this up and read. I mean, it's, it's a quick read because it's a four issue comic series. And I would say that I would give this, gosh, I don't even know what I would give it. By the way, there's like Captain Data and his Enterprise crew on the last page that are featured together, which I think is pretty cool. I'd like to know the names of all the characters. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say that, but it makes me imagine a possible series of Captain Data adventures on the Enterprise. But anyway, I would say I would give this... I mean, it's, it wasn't like as great, compelling story. It's like a setup getting us to the movie. So I would say maybe three and a half jellyfish out of five. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm right there with you. I really do like the background that it gives us. It's kind of the, you know, DVD bonus content. You know, if if you were kind of scratching your head after Star Trek 09 and had been a fan of Star Trek, you know, what gets us from here to there well, this answers a lot of those questions. And like I said, it gives Nero a lot more depth, even though he still kind of goes crazy and gets hellbent on revenge and kind of becomes one of those characters. It, it still gives you a little bit more than what we got in the movie, which was, was very, um, very basic and very surface. We don't learn a lot about Nero except what he tells us in his kind of crazed ravings about Romulus being destroyed and, and from Spock and that sort of thing to get that story and to know that our next generation crew played a role in that story was, was really interesting for sure. And so, yeah, I'd, I'd kind of right there with you. I'd give this somewhere between three and three and a half giant supernova destroying black holes. Ah, nice. Well, so I think, you know, I think we like this one. This this one worked. Yeah, it was it was pretty good. It was pretty good. If you go on the Goodreads scale, I think three stars means uh, I liked it. Well, I think that was a generally positive review of Countdown for us. Uh, like you said, you know, we liked it. It's uh, it's always good to get a little bit more background than we get in some of the movies and stuff. And like you, I'm kind of curious as to how the books are going to handle this when they get there. But until then, this is kind of a really cool story that, frankly, I think would have made a really cool movie uh, before Star Trek 2009 came out. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I did enjoy it, uh, but I don't. I don't know if I would. Uh, I, I really wish I would have read this and watched the movie right afterwards. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking of that and I, I wanted to and I didn't have the time to do that. I think it would be a fun read and then go straight into watching the movie or even reading the comic adaptions of these. But um, I thought it was good. I wait, wait, was there a comic adaption? I don't remember of the movie of the of 2009. Oh, yeah. there might have been. I'm not sure. I don't actually. Really, I, if there was, I didn't get I don't think there was. Now I think about it. I know there was yeah. a novelization of it. Yeah, I don't think there was. I think you're right. 
Yeah. But anyway, it's been fun talking about this and among other things that we've talked about on the show, but it isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some of the things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. My casting choices, okay, would be for Ruck, you got to go with Dave Bautista, right? Uh, He's uh, Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy. He played Jinx in... uh, Yeah, Inspector. Yeah, not Jinx. What's his name? Hinks. Mr. Hinks. Hinks. Yeah, Mr. Hinks. That's the wrong James Bond film, everybody. (laughs) The 602 Club. Going back to the Gotham thing really quickly. I know this is semi-derailing. Um, why would you want to move to Gotham? I mean, he has to have been there. It's like the picture that he has on his wall is this beautiful, shining, like daytime view, if I'm not mistaken, of Gotham, which I don't think we ever see. Um, it was like, I'm not really sure. Charm City looks quite nice. <laughs> like so. Saturday morning trek. It's very much like a continuation of the original series. You know what? You raise a very good point, and it's one we probably should have talked about earlier, is that we talk so much about the animation and the limitations of the medium that we forget about the writing. And overall, it's pretty strong throughout the run. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us whenever and wherever you get your podcast. And if you're an Apple user, do us a favor. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. And we'd also appreciate that if you would give us a review. Because, you know, we haven't had an iTunes review in a while. So it would be nice to have one. Please. Pretty please. And uh, if you're not an Apple user, we've also got you covered on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. And another way you can help us is become a patron of the network on Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find goals and different milestone contribution levels along with great perks that we have for you. And these perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and much more. So we really appreciate any support you can give us, and I hope that you'll join our team and it's really become a family. I've got to know so many people through the Patreon group. It's incredible. So again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash Trek FM. We'd also like to thank Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, Brandon Shea Matala and Norman Lau for their support of the Trek FM network and being associate producers right here for literary treks as well. So, Dan, when you don't have full access to the Enterprise database, where can people find you? Well, luckily with this Enterprise computer, I can still access Twitter. And you can find me on there at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. And let me see here. Yep, I've got access to Facebook. So you can find me at Facebook.com slash Productions. And thankfully, I can access YouTube and I'm streaming some how to build models videos onto the enterprise's main screen right now. And you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash Productions. And of course you can find me on the Babel conference talking about Star Trek as well. 
Bruce, when you're not hurriedly Googling to see if you can find out which comics Worf has died in, where can we find you? Hold on. Hold on one second. I'm, I'm trying to find out where I saw Worf die. Hey, I'm going to tell everybody. I, I, I swear, I remember there's an issue where Worf dies. Another <laughs> one. I will find it. I will find it and I'll mention it on an upcoming show, hopefully on the next one. But in the meantime, you can even tweet it to me. How about that? If you know the answer, go to Twitter and you can find me at Admiral underscore Rex. And I, that would be great if you could tweet that to me. And, you know, and follow me. I'll follow you, too. We'll follow each other. It'll be kind of creepy, but at least we'll be talking Star Trek. You can also each other. Aren't you just kind of going in circles? (laughs) We are going in circles (laughs) going. What issue was that? What issue was worth it? So then you can also find me talking Star Wars. It's that other star franchise. You can find me on the Star Wars Report podcast with Riley Blanton and Mark Herleman. Great fun we've been having there. We're leading up to Star Wars Celebration, and we're talking a lot and giving tips on that. So if you're going to the convention, you need to be listening. Uh, We're we're, we're kind of like the go-to podcast for that right now. And uh, you can also find me in the Babel Conference, of course, talking Star Trek with all you Facebook people out there in the world. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this exciting episode of Literary Treks. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.